Welcome back one and all as we close out the week here at the Damage Report with me, John Arola and Brett Early. How's it going everybody? God, you I just this is a special audience message. You look really good this morning and I know you don't try. I know you don't try anymore. The audience, audience is going for the natural look today. But there's okay. something about your inherent beauty mm-hmm. and the confidence that not trying imbues upon your aura. I and love all picking an up. audience of what will eventually be thousands of people being told they don't try by a guy in a sweatshirt. <laughs> and if you saw this sweatshirt, John, I yeah. love this sweatshirt and you can buy it on shoptyt.com. For those listening to the podcast, mm-hmm. it's uh, abolished the electoral college, but it looks like a college t-shirt like from the 80s. Um, but it is just covered in like splatter from ramen. It's my like ramen from below sweater. where the camera is. It's just stains. It's basically. it's the kind of stains where you're like, oh, that's just water, and then you you like try to wash it, and it's like, oh crap, that was oil. <laughs> it <laughs> is best case scenario that was but, oil, but you can kind of anyway, get away um, with it because it does look like a a knock around college sweater crew neck. It does, it does. Um, but you're not the sort of guy to like still talk about or obsess over your college years. You're not him. And back when the show I was today, at Leland Stanford Junior University Stop organized it. 1891. No, I, th- I thought I that. would be. Okay, everybody. So thank you all North for Cuba. being here. I'm very excited that you're here because in addition to sweatshirt stains and ramen, we're going to be talking about American politics because there's a lot going on actually. Uh, we are finally closing out the damages portion of the E. Jean Carroll trial. And Donald Trump and his legal team teamed up to make it as wild as possible. So we're going to be breaking down that. We could have a civil war soon, so that's cool. Everyone buckle up for that. We'll touch base with the campaign, see what's going on. Nikki Haley still in it. And we got to talk a little bit about wrestling, tangentially at least. Vince McMahon back in the news and he's the worst. So we've got that, we've got some AI, we've got Dunkin' Donuts and we do have our garbage people of the week. So definitely stay tuned for that. But before all that, hit the like button, share the stream and Brett, are you ready to do this thing? Whether I am or not, you've been more than fair. Thank you, that was very nice of you. Okay, let's talk about some fun news. Donald Trump absolutely lost it in the E. Jean Carroll trial. It was the closing arguments and all he had to do was sit there and that was too much. He stormed out of the courtroom during the closing arguments. Walks out of courtroom is one way you can present that. I went with storms out. You could say left in a huff. Um, the term hissy fit could possibly show up in there because like it wasn't that he just left. So E. Jean Carroll's lawyer began describing basically the harm that Donald Trump and his not only sexual abuse, which has already been proven in court, but also the defamation has caused to her client. And that's when he left. But before that even happened, the signs were already there that he was not happy with what was going on. So he apparently was looking frustrated with the judge, shaking his head repeatedly. When Miss Kaplan, the lawyer, began describing last May's verdict that found that Mr. Trump had sexually abused Miss Carroll, he grew more frustrated, scoffing, muttering, and shaking his head. He was literally scoffing. Brett, a scoff is like a ha. Ah, ah, that's scoffing, right? I believe he's so. literally doing that. It's oh. not. It's not a pout, John. It's mm-hmm. an active. It. It's. It's. I feel like it's onomatopoetic. Like there has to be like a. And a, maybe a grumble. A grumble will prove that a scoff occurred. Mm-hmm. 
because that's how the like, body recovers from scoffing. Yeah, I think. it's like, um, yeah, it's like sometimes like we don't see the object. We see the light bouncing off the object. So we don't, we might, we can like vaguely feel like we know about the scoff, but if it's followed by a grumble, mm -hmm. scoff proven. Definitely. It's like how we can't like we can't see the black hole. We can only see the effect it has on things nearby. And Donald Trump is a great example of that for a couple of different reasons. Um, but anyway, it wasn't just Trump that decided to make the end of this as ridiculous and unprofessional as every other step along the way was. Uh, Alina Haba was warned that she was on the verge of being locked up because you see, she is technically a lawyer in that she went to a technically a law school, but she wasn't trained for doing any of this. And her client wants her to do things that they know she can't do. So she's been just trying to do that the whole time, either just stumbling into mistakes or going against the rules as they've been set forth. And so in this case, she kept trying to enter effectively tweets into evidence during her closing arguments. And you can't do that. You can't just put forward new evidence. And she might know that possibly. Again, she technically went to law school, but Donald Trump desperately wants people to focus on these tweets because he knows that if the jury just sees that E. Jean Carroll has a cat named Vagina, then Case closed and he's won this thing. So she kept trying to do that and the judge had to tell her to stop or she would be locked up. So there's a lot to be angry about. That's all as of today. Now, since the last time we talked about this yesterday, there were other things that happened that might have led to this simmering anger on the part of Donald Trump. But I wanted to let you know a little bit about this. The account on Twitter, Inner City Press, summed up a bit of yesterday's back and forth about a couple different things. And I don't think that he would have liked much of this. So it began when the judge was asking Ms. Haba if she had any other witnesses. And this is the opportunity where Donald Trump can finally testify. They'd been talking about the possibility that he would do that. And she said, yes, President Trump, to which Judge Kaplan said, I have a few things to say, and that is definitely the case. So Judge Kaplan decided to say there was a trial last year about the truth or falsity of Miss Carroll's claims. Mr. Trump was listed as a witness, but did not testify. The jury found for Miss Carroll, there are no do-overs. It's called issue preclusion or collateral estoppel. That's a term I'm not familiar with, they didn't cover it in suits. But anyway, Judge Kaplan decided to then summarize for the jury what they had found, saying the jury found that Mr. Trump inserted his fingers into her vagina and that Ms. Carroll did not make up that claim. And that Mr. Trump's June 11th and June 22nd statements were defamatory. Now, Mr. Trump may not make any argument against this. Now he is very much going to try to do that. But I love that the, ju the judge had to summarize that. What seems ridiculous though to me, Brett, and I want your commentary on this is, they're like adjudicating these specific defamatory claims. But it now seems so ridiculous that we're like, let's talk about how much damage was done on June 11th and June 22nd when every single day he makes the exact same claims, including today, by the way, and yesterday, and the day before that, but we're talking about June. He's still doing, he might be doing it right now, Brett. Yeah, I think? was thinking about like the mindset of many right wingers when it comes to things like election denial and all the stuff that Trump does. It's like they think that if I got in trouble for ever having punched you in the face, that means I can just continually keep punching you in the face. Mm -hmm. So I got in trouble for face punching 
Even if that, and it was a BS judgment, but I got in trouble for it. So I'm going to keep punching you in the face because that's there's double jeopardy, right? They just it's don't great. understand that they can't keep committing the same crime. And as I said on this show, like it puts us in such a weird position where like their argument is that we're overreacting for simply pointing out what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's not how overreactions were. Overreacting and pointing out things, if we're mischaracterizing the thing that was wrong, that's one thing. But like they intentionally do the worst stuff all the time. In this case, like it is judged, he did defame her. And then he just keeps doing the defamation. Like that, that dynamic is psychotic. And if we point it out, they tell us that we're psychotic. No, 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 you're doing the bad thing. Don't get mad at us because we're saying it. And yeah. it's weird that the onus then comes on us to find like fun new ways to seem cool while we point out that like Donald Trump's a bad guy and he shouldn't be president of the United States. Agreed. And really fast, I'll say there's a similar version of that where you can be led to feel like, wait, am I crazy? And I will admit, so we're talking about the story right now. We've been talking about it all week. And like, you know, I'm not saying that it isn't being discussed. The New York Times will have an article about him storming out. We cited it, you know, and that's good. But like, it seems like nobody else really cares that much about this. Like they care a little bit, they're covering it. But this is the former president already having been found guilty of Let's just call it what it is and what Kaplan has continually asserted is rape. You know, under the literal definition in New York law, they didn't go for that. They went with sexual abuse, but it's what everyone else defines as rape. And like we've talked about it for one portion of each of our show. It's one of the eight to 10 things we talk about in every show. And I feel like we're being weird in that we're talking about it, but he was already found guilty of rape and it barely matters in the election that we're in right now. Why do I have to feel crazy about the fact that I think it's weird that this convicted or now found civilly libel rapist and defamer might be president again? That seems weird to me. Right, because it's because you have to put it in the context of what they're trying to do and like their objective and then their tactics, right? So like I think this whole thing about like American politics is very similar to sumo wrestling, where like at the at they either are just running at you as fast as they can to try to push you over or they're doing the e honda thousand hand slap <laughs> and so they have a thousand different dumb little petty slaps that they try to do this is one of them like the yeah. the and and it's crazy cuz under any other scenario if this happened to a president there would be a giant uproar like a consensual relationship involving cigars with an intern so to speak like it was, it was, I guess it wasn't, it was like someone in power and then an intern that was bad. And, and Bill Clinton got impeached for it, like literally impeached. And so that's a double standard that they have with Clinton and Trump. And I, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious at this point. Donald Trump, every step of the way, has seemed to want to make this as bad for him as possible. Whatever the judgment is going to be, however many millions or tens of millions or hell, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, he keeps trying to drive it up. And I want to show two examples of that. Stay tuned for the second one because it's the most fun because it's how him bragging about himself might have doomed himself financially, which I love. But first, again, he has been warned. If he's going to testify, here are the things you can talk about and here are the things you can't talk about. And he refuses to uh, like abide by that. 
And the back and forth over it is so utterly juvenile. So Judge Kaplan says at one point, let me hear from the other side. To which Roberta Kaplan, the lawyer for E. Jean Carroll says, just now Mr. Trump said under his breath, he's going to say he never did it. Which is like the, the lawyer has to be like, he just he just punched me under the table. Did you just see that? He just, <laughs> he just hit, he just, he's, He's making faces when you turn. This that is what this is. But she's not the one who's wrong. He is literally saying it under his breath. To which Judge Kaplan says, he will not testify about questions asked of him by reporters. Haba says, no, if I may, Your Honor, to which Judge Kaplan says no. I just like that she cuts her off with a no or whatever. But but then Roberta Kaplan, lawyer for Eugene Carroll, is saying he had an opportunity to participate in a trial. Judge Kaplan says, and he lost. I will so instruct the jury more than once. To which Trump says, I wasn't at the trial. I never met this woman. He's not testifying, by the way. He's just like at the little table that you're supposed to sit at. To which the judge has to say, Mr. Trump, keep your voice down. Because this is what he's here for. To just keep blurting out things so he can hopefully pollute the jury into agreeing with him. And that could potentially influence them. One other thing that could influence them, and then I'll get your, your thoughts, Brett, is that uh, the jurors were shown a video just yesterday. And it's from a different thing. It's not from the E. Jean Carroll thing. Um, but Trump is answering questions about his like self-worth, his brand value. And he's doing what he's done for literally decades, which is brag and lie about how much he's worth. So he says, under oath, in my case, I know it's billions and billions and billions of dollars. He goes on to say 2.9 to 3 billion, which by the way, if we're splitting hairs, 3 billion is not billions and billions and billions of dollars. It's billion and billion and billion of dollars, <laughs> but whatever. Either way, it's billions. We have a lot of cash. We have great assets. At one point, he brags about his NFT trading card, saying some of the cards are selling for $82,000. And then he says that Mar-a-Lago could be worth $1.5 billion. And here's the thing for him. If the point of all of this is that he will be fined a certain amount of money designed to stop him from defaming her in the future, it's going to have to be enough money that it actually hurts. And he has now been shown under oath to effectively telling the jury that he's worth billion and billion and billion of dollars. In which case, maybe this thing could end up being a whole hell of a lot of money. What do you think, Brad? I love the way that Donald Trump's legal team uh, is acting and I am on their side in this because it reminds me of the movie My Cousin Vinny, where like <laughs> he's like, Well, listen, I learned the rules, but I never really learned the procedure. And they just think that they can just throw whatever they want out there into the conversation at any point that they want to. And the fact is that they can. That's pretty much what the judge's job is, is to say what can be admitted at what point and and Haba just seems to be utterly um, oblivious to this because I just don't think that that side is sophisticated and smart enough to have been like, well, strategically, we've already lost it. And so we're going to make these mistakes on purpose to do X, Y, and Z. They just haven't um, you know, demonstrated that acumen. They haven't earned my respect in, in that way. Um, but yeah, I think that with Trump and him doing this at the muttering under his breath and denying and claiming what he's claiming. It's it really is this this argument that I think the Democrats should make more. Is that like, look, you just look at his behavior. Trump's full of he's just full of hot air. He's a blowhard. He's about fake stuff. He's a he's a marketing guy. He's a banner ad. 
He's just mm-hmm. lying. He's a he's a salesman that calls you on the phone during dinner. That's what Donald Trump is, and it sucks. And <laughs> he's talking about all these fake assets. He's nothing. I mean, he's in real estate, but he's he's also in trouble for faking how much that real estate is worth. And America's about building stuff, making things, doing things, hardworking men and women with real jobs that make America run. And that's why I think the Democrats need to push more into like the labor force and the workforce. But unfortunately, the neolibs in charge of it are just turning around and saying, I don't know, my 401k is pretty dank. And yeah. I like all my donations and all of that. And they're they're not reaching out. So Trump, the bloviator, the 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 fake marketer, is actually in many cases doing a better job than the Democrats at reaching out to like the regular people. And yeah. it's like I think I've been, I think I can say that kind of take that 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 like left turn just because this stuff's so obvious and pathetic. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. He's there's a lot of different ways that I feel like they should be going at him. I mean, we'll see. We're we're getting into this campaign. We're gonna find out. Uh, I did read an article about how Biden transitioning to focusing on Trump being a loser, which seems like the the most base, you know, bottom floor sort of criticism of him. Apparently, according to AIDS, is getting under Trump's skin. So that's fun. Um, he should go watch the Loser Donald segments from 2016. The Republican Party is now so like exceeding what you might expect it would do in bowing down to Donald Trump, tripping over itself to worship at his feet, that even he is like, you gotta dial it back a little bit. So they wanted to do this thing where, despite the fact that we've only had a caucus and a primary, they had this resolution to name him the presumptive nominee, which is just what are you what are you doing at this point? Like you just you're in the thing that decides the nominee. You don't need to do that. Well, that's not just me saying that. If we could jump ahead, he put up a message saying, well, I greatly appreciate the RNC wanting to make me their presumptive nominee in all caps. And while they have far more votes than necessary to do it, I feel for the sake of party unity that they should not go forward with this plan, that I should do it the old fashioned way and finish the process off at the ballot box. Thank you to the RNC for the respect and capital D devotion you've shown me, Trump 2024. So I am actually, I guess a little bit surprised by that. This seems like the sort of thing that he would like them just declaring him the winner before he's actually won. Um, so that was surprising to me. Uh, beyond just the surprise, though, this is the biggest bunch of BS possible. He's doing this for party unity. That's what he cares as he is trying to rip the party apart. He's like telling donors that donate to Nikki Haley that they're permanently cut off from the MAGA world or whatever. And he wants to do it the old fashioned way. Here's an idea, have a debate. That's part of the old fashioned way, actually getting on the stage and talking about what you plan to do. And you'll maybe attacking Nikki Haley to her face instead of just doing it on Truth Social or something like that. He has no interest in the old fashioned way. The old fashioned way is if you lose an election, you just go off and do other stuff. You don't try to overturn the results of it. So anyway, I am surprised by this turn. What do you think? The old, so someone needs to pull Trump aside and tell him what the old fashioned way was in politics. And if you watch my Rebel HQ video this week, I take you through the entire history of the primary process and how it used to be. All of it used to be like New Hampshire was for the Democrats, where like people might vote, but then the party bosses just choose who the hell they want. Like the problem is Trump, if they did it the old fashioned way, you would be nowhere near the conversation and the Republican party bosses would absolutely choose who they wanted and who they wanted would not be you. 
Um, so the new fashioned way, and I'm talking about like essentially since 1968, when there was a riot in Chicago uh, because the Democrats did this and the Republicans didn't actually do it so much. Like since then, primaries are binding. So the new fashioned way is to decide it at the polls. Um, and that said, like I think strategically, if he was if he was nervous about losing the primary, then he would say go along with this plan that they're yes. hatching. And I can prove that because when he knew that he had lost the, the general election, he was advocating for just doing it a completely different way that was underhanded and yeah. against the constitution. Well, you know, it's funny because you just reminded me so this is so needless, but I'll try to make it quick. Uh, I was randomly, thanks to Netflix, I was watching some um, uh, Project Runway. And there's this guy who was made team leader of his team or whatever. And he was a really petty guy who loved drama. Um, but he was also very good at making clothing or whatever. And when he would be in like the top three, he was so nice to his teammates and he took responsibility for everything. And he was just diplomatic. The second he started to do poorly, he was pointing fingers and throwing people under the bus. And all that faux humility was gone because it was never actual humility. It was something he was freed up to do because he was on top and it wouldn't hurt him. And Trump is exactly like that. But the thing is, he's not even that good at it because he's got this faux willingness to participate in the process, but he isn't gonna do the debates. And he is still attacking Nikki Haley and he's still attacking Kaylee McEnany for giving him advice. He's not even doing the thing he's pretending to do. And the only other thing I want to let you know about this is that along the way, the fact that he threatened Nikki Haley's donors doesn't really seem to be hurting her necessarily. She raised $2.6 million in the immediate aftermath of those attacks. Her super PAC has raised over $50 million. There are a lot of people with a lot of money who do not want Donald Trump to win this thing. None of that will probably matter in the end, but it's a lot of money in the meantime. Quick final comment, Brett, before we move on. Yeah, that's the that's the thing is like, I, I just don't think that it's she has any shot. I think the only reason Nikki Haley is staying in the race, there's two options. One, she does want to see what happens in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Two, she's waiting until like convictions potentially come through. She wants to be the person who racks up the second most delegates so that if Trump can't run, she has a better claim to the throne, even though those delegates that Trump won are only beholden to him if he is still possible to be the uh, the nominee. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's just you know if he goes to jail and we've gone into total crazy town, there's going to be a ton of people making the claim that they should be the candidate, and she wants to have that like ace up her sleeve. That like, hey, a bunch of people voted for me. By the way, they didn't vote for DeSantis because he ran. You know, I think that's that's what it's about as well. There's rumblings that Joe Biden should or may actually federalize the National Guard, take that power away from Greg Abbott. Let's say this showdown, I mean, this, that's what it is. It's a showdown. It's a showdown of power and loyalties and constitutionality. Let's say he does that. How many people say, no, you know what? Screw you, Biden administration. And how many people stay and fight with Texas versus the federal things? And does that put us on course for a force on force conflict? This is, it feels like almost like a soft civil war. You got all the Republicans saying, can we secure our borders? The Democrats saying, I want this to go away, I'm blaming Republicans. The president against the governor of Texas, the most independent state in the union. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is it's getting a, a little crazy. Move. 
I've said I don't want a secession, I don't want a civil war, I don't want to dissolve the country. But the left knows they're putting all of us in a position to where we have a hijacked federal government. We have to have the states pull out of the union and then have another convention and then reconstitute it again and have the states basically impeach the hijacked federal government. And that's in the Declaration of Independence. It's not just our right, it's our duties. Yeah, I don't want like a secession or anything, but in this one case, the overwhelmingly conservative Supreme Court said that we should continue a centuries long precedent, the federal government being in charge of immigration law. And in this one particular case means that they're able to remove this concertina wire. So I guess secession, I guess war. I think you weren't actually that against it in the first place, if that's the case. So look, there's everybody on the right, the commentators, many of the politicians now, both independent right wing commentators and those on Fox News and Newsmax and Infowars and all that, they're all once again horny for civil war. And it's hard to say exactly why that is. It could be that they like the topic that it's over. They like the idea that they can focus on the border and they think that they could help them. It could be that they just like that it's happening during an election year. This gets to be their caravans for this year or their you know trucker caravan in Canada or whatever. Maybe they just like that. Maybe it's just what it normally is, which is that they love the idea of telling other people that they should go and die while they broadcast about it. I don't know for sure, but I do know that a whole lot of people have been calling for violence, not just calling for not abiding by the Supreme Court or what the federal government says, but specifically saying, I'm cool with armed forces on the state and federal level killing each other. Oh, and by the way, you, dear listener, should get a gun and be ready to start murdering people. They're being very clear about that, and they're getting an assist by the politicians as well. Greg Abbott has been talking about how this is the forced invasion of Texas by the federal government, saying he's not going to abide by it. And you now have Republican governors representing, I believe, fully half of all US states saying that they side with Governor Abbott in saying that Texas should not abide by the decision of the Supreme Court. So look, the idea that this could devolve into actual civil war certainly seems crazy. But as many of these right workers have pointed out, the last one seemed unlikely up until it happened. The only difference between me and them is that I actually think it's a bad thing and I don't want people to die for their politics. Brett, what do you think? That Alex Jones diatribe is the apotheosis of feeling smart versus being smart. Like he took us through a very intense, smart feeling diatribe about civics, a civics lesson on how like to constitute, unconstitute, reconstitute the the federal government and secede from the union but it's just stupid like the thing is like this is how federalism always works this is the tricky weird dichotomy that there's a hundred different metaphors for or trichotomy i guess between like you have federal governments you have state governments you have local governments and really what always already is happening is the federal government is always deciding whether they should Take the initiative and supersede whatever you're doing at a federal and local or state and local level. For example, it is illegal, it, you know, it has traditionally been illegal for you to smoke marijuana, but you can go down to Venice Pier and just buy weed in 2010 by just standing in front of an iPad and telling someone you like have trouble sleeping. And the federal government doesn't step in or the state government doesn't step in until they feel that there's an issue. And in this, and if it, if there's a big disagreement, it goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court makes a decision. And typically, what you do is you look at it and go like, there, if we didn't do it this way, the entire nation would fall apart, and you don't want that, and so you don't do it. But yeah. these folks, like, 
And then what are you upset about? Like, what are you actually mad at? Like, you're 10 minutes away from from Joe Biden agreeing to many of the immigration reforms that you asked for. But the people like Alex Jones, Fox News, and whoever the hell else Newsmax that we played would hate for that to happen. They would yeah, hate they for us to actually have comprehensive immigration reform because then they would have nothing to well, complain about. That's a, that's a good point, Brett, and I want to talk more about that. But let me set up because I actually want to turn to that, the, the difference between how they're, the urgency they talk about this issue with Texas and how like lacking in urgency they clearly think it is when it comes to the actual bill. So let's turn to that now. It's already been made clear Donald Trump is working behind the scenes to kill the bipartisan Senate deal that could address a number of different issues having to do with the border and other topics, but it's pretty border focused. The right has been saying that this is an invasion, it's an emergency, it's the most important thing happening. But now it's an election year and working with Biden to fix it makes him look good. So let's just not do it. And it's very clear about that. Donald Trump is glomming on to what's going on with Texas to say that all willing states should deploy their guards to Texas while at the same time telling them there should be no legislation to clamp down on the border, change the law or do whatever. Many of the things the Republicans have been calling for. Remember, they are part of this deal. And many Republican senators have been working for months now to get their interests put into this bill. And so it's a really weird situation we're in where the situation there is such an emergency that if some concertina wire is snipped by the federal government, then you're killing all of Texas and civil war is mandated as a result of it. But also at the same time, we shouldn't pass any legislation for the next year because that could be interpreted as a win by Joe Biden. And if you're a conservative watching this, do you get the game that they're playing with you and your family as pieces in it? They've convinced you that unless everything is done at the border, your family will be raped and murdered by migrants. But also, I don't really care if that happens in the next year because Joe Biden might be helped by us doing something. So we're just gonna leave you up to that uh, that danger for the next year and maybe we'll get around to it once Donald Trump is a president. If you believe that your family is at that sort of risk, why are you not furious at Donald Trump for trying to scuttle any chance at legislation designed to protect your family from that danger that you've been so convinced is coming? Brett, you uh, you were talking about this earlier. What do you, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I mean, like they don't want to solve the problems. And I have this criticism, and I think a lot of people at TYT have this criticism about people in government is that they'd rather campaign on the problems, keep the problems as problems, because otherwise they're gonna have to come up with something else to complain about. Like if you look at the development of the discussion around immigration, for example, like what is the giant strain and harm that increased influxes of migrants has on the economy. Theoretically, it's making wages lower, right? Um, the people in the Republican Party who are angry about that love, their main complaint about the economy is wages are too damn high. We gotta mm-hmm. raise the federal interest rates because we need to make wages lower. We need to get people unemployed so they'll accept these jobs. Um, it's just enough gray area for Republicans to fill out the rest of their voter base with xenophobic folks who don't want people coming into the union, like that to the to the United States. But like, there are people along the border. I understand there's people along the border, people in in cities. There's people that are naturalized citizens who are competing with, uh, you know, new immigrants and also, um, you know, undocumented people who are getting those jobs. 
Those folks, like, there's a real conversation to be had here. And if you're pretending that they don't, that that's not a real struggle in America, then you're kind of doing this weird identity politics. But mm. I don't think the Republicans are engaging in that conversation in any earnest way right now at all. And honestly, I think that, like, if that's your argument, that Democrats just aren't close enough in their big walled off cities to understand the, the, um, the the long effects of of being a sanctuary city like no that's happening like they will they will encounter it that's just how it works but the the remaining fact that you can't deny is this is not something to break up the United States over especially mm -hmm. when you're that close to actually having the compromise that will alleviate a lot of your own complaints yeah look and also the final point I'll say about this is in terms of consistency which we should not expect there's literally no reason that you should expect people to be at all consistent from one political topic to another even though it seems logical that they would be um they're saying here that if the federal government cuts the concertina wire then the republic should fall uh that is tyrannical how dare the federal government tell the states what to do back off but they also believe that as soon as Donald Trump becomes president the entire border should just be concentration camps, which I'm sure Texas would love, the Texas governor would love. But what if the other states don't love it? Are they allowed to tell the, the government to go kick rocks? I have a feeling not. You remember what happened in 2020 when there was protests all over the country? Trump was talking about declaring martial law and sending troops in all these cities. Right wingers loved that. By the way, the Trump government was black bagging people and pulling them into minivans and disappearing them. Did the right have any problem with the tyrannical government going in and contradicting state, local, and law? They had no problem whatsoever. Again, this is not a, it's not about a principle and it's not about a value. It's about a man. It's about Donald Trump. He can do whatever he wants. Joe Biden's the bad guy. If Joe Biden was doing the exact same thing as Donald Trump, which on immigration law, he largely was for the first half of his administration, they would hate it. Because it's not about the policy and it's not about value, it's not about principles. It's about one man being raised up above all others. Final there's point this, goes to you. Yeah, there's this criticism of irony in like the left is so they want they're so inclusive that they're exclusive. Because if you're not as inclusive of people on the left, then you're not allowed to do anything. You get canceled. Like that's what the that that hypocrisy. Like there's a little bit of it that's true. Um, it's absolutely true in the hypocrisy of these right wingers who say that they're anti-tyranny when they're angry and they're willing to secede from the union because someone clipped razor wire, which is itself like a very obvious imagery-based metaphor for tyranny. So eliminating the the actual symbol of tyranny is going to make them mad, and and then also like. They're gonna, if they wanna be in charge that much of the border, they're gonna have to eminent domain a bunch of farmers along the Rio Grande. And so that is something they always fight against when it comes to federal intervention, taking away like rancher land so you can conserve the buffalo. Like that's exactly what the, the, the Texas state government is trying to do is fortify with soldiers their own damn state and they're absolute yeah. psychos. And eminent domain used to be a thing that someone like Alex Jones would and did fearmonger over. Yeah. And now, oh, yeah, but I really want to kill those people down south. So if we could just they're gonna okay. they're gonna that's trash your your farmland to build a concentration camp. I don't know about you, but that to me sounds a little bit more like tyranny. We're gonna take another break because we're gonna really switch gears and talk about Vince McMahon on the other side. But um, but we're responding to some of your comments, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Former boss of the WWE, Vince McMahon, has been accused of sex trafficking and sexual abuse by a former WWE staffer that he apparently paid to keep quiet. That employee is Janelle Grant, former employee of the company. And we're gonna provide some of the details that have been unveiled in this lawsuit. But you need to understand if it's not already obvious that this is this is content that has to do with sexual abuse, sexual trafficking, gaslighting, a whole lot of different stuff all in that area. So if that is something that may be distressing to you, bear that in mind going forward. Um, but here's apparently how the relationship that is detailed in this lawsuit began between Janelle Grant and Vince McMahon. Uh, in their first meeting, McMahon allegedly shared intimate details about his life, including quote, current family dynamics, including his separation from Linda McMahon, his traumatic childhood, growing up in poverty. And he told her that he didn't just wanna give her a job, but give her a life and that he would find her a place at the WWE. But almost instantaneously, he began overstepping the boundaries of an employer-employee relationship, beginning to groom Janelle Grant for sexual exploitation, such as by appearing before her in his underwear, asking her for kisses and making sexual advances. And it escalated incredibly quickly from there. McMahon allegedly demanded that Grant send him explicit photos and engaged in sexual behavior that the lawsuit claims was aggressive, causing physical injuries, including bleeding and pain from forceful use of sex toys. As one of the more bizarre details in this lawsuit, Vince McMahon is alleged to have named the sex toys based on their color after current superstars of the WWE. There's a lot psychologically to delve into there. Unfortunately, we don't have time because we're gonna focus on the crimes, but Jesus. The lawsuit also includes purported texts from McMahon to the employee in which he describes sexual fantasies, as well as sharing that he had shown male WWE employees her explicit photos, as well as stories about her sexual behaviors. Um, once she was working at the headquarters in Connecticut, the abuse intensified. He apparently took nude photos and videos of her while having sex with her, which he used to intimidate her into silence. And then we transitioned into the actual sex trafficking when he pressured a grant in the lawsuit into threesomes with other men, including McMahon's physical therapist and another executive at the WWE, who is also named as a lawsuit, um, as a defendant in the lawsuit. He apparently, that executive as well as Vince McMahon would sexually assault her while other colleagues were working in the area. So look, there's a lot that's being alleged about Vince McMahon and this executive. But also it describes a system wherein it is hard to not believe that many people knew that something was going on. Now they are not named as defendants in this and we don't know for sure how many people are still at the WWE that had Potentially good reason to know that something bad was happening. Um, but that is the story that is being sketched out here. Brett, what do you make of this? Do the law stuff, do it for real, have the trial, find out what happened, and then act accordingly is my position on this. Um, basically, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, after the. It's it's tough, man. This is one of the, the weirdest discussions where like it looks like everything horrible is horrible. Um, and it looks like it happened. And at the same time, like I did a lot of talking during the Me Too movement and I got lost along the way as to where I was supposed to say that things actually happened. It didn't happen. Working at a news agency, you have to report it like this. Like it's alleged until it gets proven in a court of law. And if there's yeah. a conviction or a confession, then I get to say he did it. It happened a hundred percent. I don't think that position is. That position feels wildly horrible to women. 
it makes me feel like a monster to say, like, look at what was alleged. It is bad. It's the worst thing I've ever heard. I can't believe something like that happened. And then I have to say, but I can't say that. I have to say allegedly. And then I have to have yeah. um, confidence in the legal system to find a solution. And if I'm looking at Donald Trump and Eugene Carroll, it looks like the things I felt that exact same way about before were carried out in a court of law and he was found guilty. So yeah. I get to have, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I either, you either do or you don't have faith in the legal system. If you don't have faith in the legal system, you got to come armed with actual facts and, and, and instances where it let people down and people do that all the time. It's one of the most difficult ways to have a conversation around this period. And it's one of the most frustrating things about our legal system, but it's also one of the most essential things about our legal system. I take heart in knowing that the burden of proof for a conviction to send someone to jail is higher than for them to pay damages to the people that were affected. And I get frustrated that a lot of times they settle because of that. And I never ever get to find out what happened because at the end of that discussion, there's a non-disclosure agreement or no admission of fault. In many cases, yeah. Yeah, and look, and we know specifically with Vince McMahon, he apparently has paid more than $10 million over the years in hush money to different women. But, um, I'm, but I'm not gonna give people the catharsis that they want. It sucks, and I hate that about myself. Because in this, it's like, there, I know people who have settled lawsuits essentially because it was cheaper than mm -hmm. and less risky than going to prison to prove, going to, to court to prove their actual innocence. Yeah. Like that happens and you can't Look, deny that. Now, I, you know, I know I can feel people be like, oh God, but like believe people because X percent of them are correct. It's like, I do, I believe you. But am I willing to take the next step and and say with great confidence one way or the other? Is that incumbent upon me? A lot of people are saying I'm letting down an entire movement of people that it needs to happen and it might be a little messy. I totally understand that, but it's it's one of the most difficult decisions or discussions yeah. to have for all of the reasons that I just mentioned. And it's a lot easier for me in many scenarios to come on a show like this and or any show, so to speak, and just say like, man, he's a monster, let's get him. Because that's yeah. what I well, want to do, but I can't look, say it, that until the court of law has really, really proven that in the in in, in its official proceedings. What about a compromise where no. uh, because this has not been fully adjudicated and because we take our you know ethical responsibilities as people who discuss the news more seriously than seemingly anyone who does a show like this, uh, we cannot declare that he is a monster on this. But we can declare that he's a monster. You don't need to talk about any of the details of this. Like if you like do a little bit of reading about Vince McMahon, the things that he's done, not even just the areas of misogyny and sexual assault, which by the way, this is the most recent case that alleges that. But there are stories going back literally to the 80s um, that have to do with that sort of thing. So again, I would recommend the Behind the Bastards series of videos. It's like six hours on Vince McMahon and there was a lot of content to put in there. Um, no, he is a guy that has been, he's been bad for a long time. We don't know for sure about all of these current allegations. And that is why we are doing the thing we're supposed to do, which includes not only saying that they are allegations, um, but also there is a wrestler who is alluded to in this that was involved with Janelle Grant and there are specific things about him. Uh, it is fairly clear who it is and he is a current wrestler. But I guess we're not supposed to identify who they are because it's not clear in the lawsuit and we have to let the legal process go through. But if what is alleged is true and if it is the person we think it is, then 
dear God. Um, because Vince McMahon is no longer in charge of the WWE, but this superstar is still in the WWE, at least on a part-time basis. I'm not saying who they are. No one knows um, John. You're and I'm the not only going to make WWE. an allusion to their intro music or anything. But uh, but anyway, look. Um, thank God, I will say that he is not in charge anymore, uh, and that you know the 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 many women who work uh, both in the ring and behind the scenes in a variety of different forms um, no longer have even the chance of being exposed to anything. Not to comment on these particular. Uh, allegations, but uh, it is very good to have them out of there. Now, my fear, and I, I would be one of the last things I say is, as I alleged, or as I, I guess, hinted at, there's so much about this that was very public, and Vince McMahon is out, and some of the other execs might be out, but not everybody from that time is out, and some of these people have much squeakier, clean reputations, and yet they were around for a long time during this time. So we don't know what they knew or when they knew it or what power they had to do anything about it. But that makes me a little bit queasy about the current status quo there. Um, so that's all I'll say because I don't want to get in any legal trouble either. More thoughts? I have no more thoughts about the WWE. Why'd you have to say it that way? I just so funny. It's like I was like, there was a First time you say in my life, this sort of show, and now you say I have no thoughts. About I meant a, a talk, a news talk analysis okay. show. I and that is hosted by a beautiful man. Like that. That's basically what I'm talking about. Thank you. I went back that. in your good graces. Um, but anyway, uh, I don't. I don't know what the reaction to this story has been. Um, I, I don't. We don't have time to do our final topic, right? So we might as well. I don't think that we do. Oh, we have three minutes. Okay, we've we've said what we've said, and we will certainly be following as the lawsuit goes on. Those are, those are my thoughts at this point. I cannot wait, as perhaps Brett is, to be freed up to save and more at some point. But anyway, let's talk about this. While many in the GOP are getting increasingly comfortable advocating for violence, for instance, at the border against migrants or calling for a civil war. In some cases, some Republicans want it to be a little bit more personal than that. So we're gonna turn now to Missouri, where State Senator Nick Schroer has introduced a proposed rule change that would allow senators to settle their differences the perhaps old-fashioned way by dueling each other. So here is apparently the write-up of it. I, I don't expect that you'll be able to read that. So uh, why don't we zoom in? If a senator's honor is impugned by another senator to the point that it is beyond repair, and in order for the offended senator to gain satisfaction, such senator may rectify the perceived insult to the senator's honor by challenging the offending senator to a duel. A written challenge would be sent to the offending senator by the offended lawmaker's second, the proposal added. Both parties would then agree to the terms of the duel, including choice of weapons. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. We all know the procedure. This is a time-honored thing. But anyway, they would be blah, 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 and then they would shoot each other or something. So uh, supposedly, according to the chief of staff for this individual, it was meant to be a metaphor. And he is just deeply committed to restoring a sense of honor in the Missouri Senate by talking about the how cool it would be if we could once again shoot each other. Um, I personally think that we are lacking a lot of respect and dignity and decency in government. And I would love for it to be restored. And I think there are some ways we could do that that don't involve pistols or even fisticuffs. Perhaps get people like 
Donald Trump and George Santos and Matt Gates and Marjorie Green out of government. If it's a thing that you want to be worthy of dignity and respect, maybe don't put absolute jokes and monsters and con men into government. Don't make government a place where actual problems that people are facing are never discussed and only culture war topics designed to fire up your base. Uh, receive time and attention. Those are some suggestions that might save you a little bit of time and uh, money on ammunition, perhaps. But Brett, what do you think about this? Uh, I do it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> duel. I challenge you to a duel. I want them to get in a smack fight, even if it's not that. I want it to be like, like this was a real way to solve problems. <laughs> Back mm -hmm. in the day, there would be a duel. You would shoot the guy and he would either die or be hurt. And that's it. I love it. Bring it back. Mm -hmm. Why not? They're that ridiculous anyway. There might as well be consequences. Yeah. And I look, I don't know this individual. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to know anything else about him in his past or in his future. Please don't ever pop up on my radar again. But it it smacks of that like. Yeah, well, we're the alphas. If necessary, we'll use guns. Because if you impugn my honor, I demand satisfaction and I'm willing to fight you for it. Meanwhile, we will all bow down to Donald Trump, a guy who insults Nikki Haley on True Social, but won't actually go on the debate stage with her. There's this very tenuous relationship with the idea of strong men on the right, where they love the idea of it, but none of the men they worship have any of those qualities whatsoever. It's all aspirational, it's all hypothetical, or perhaps metaphorical to put it in the terms of this gentleman. Anyway, that is unfortunately all the time we have for the first hour of the show. But don't you worry, when we come back from our break, we're gonna be throwing away some garbage people of the week. If you're listening on the podcast, head over to the YouTube page. You can watch these videos that unfortunately don't make it onto the podcast. For the rest of you, I will see you in just a few.